0: Hello, I'm Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, we are talking about contracts. In this episode, we will discuss contract formation, specifically consideration. But first, a few disclaimers. Disclaimer one, this is just an overview. You are always responsible for understanding the case law that supports any rule of law. Disclaimer number two, always remember you take the professor, not the course. So if by some chance you are listening to this and I'm not your professor, keep in mind that I may emphasize and even include, or not include, areas of the law that are different from your professor. Okay, let's talk offer, acceptance, and assent. Before we discuss the specifics of each of these rules, I offer you an analytical framework. When considering whether a contract has been validly formed, ask yourself... One, did the offeror make the offer? Two, did the offer elapse? Three, did the offeree accept? And four, did the parties assent to the agreement? And keep in mind that consideration is essential to any binding contract. You can listen to the Consideration podcast on Law of Fact, but today, again, we're only talking about offer, acceptance, and assent. An offer need not include the words, I offer, but it must communicate to the offeree exactly what is being offered. So I quote you, $1,000 for 100 mason jars for immediate delivery to your warehouse on June 5th is an offer because it's definite and specific. It informs the offeree of what he or she can expect from the contract. But a response to will you sell me bulb or pen of will not sell for less than $6,000 is not an offer. It is rather the answer to an inquiry. Price alone does not present enough specifics to inform the offeree of what he would be agreeing to. And keep in mind, the offeror is the master of the offer. So an offer, in addition to including terms, can ask for acceptance as a return promise or acceptance as performance. But if the offeror does not request a particular mode of acceptance, then the offeree can accept in any manner reasonable. If the offeror requests acceptance as a return promise, then the contract is considered a bilateral contract, promise for promise. By means two, so two promises. However, acceptance is by performance, then it is considered a unilateral contract. Promise for performance. Uni means one, so one promise. Let's look at this for a moment. Sally will pay Betty $100 to mow Sally's lawn on June 5th. Ask yourself, if this were a unilateral contract, what is it that the offeror, Sally, wants in return, acceptance by promise or by performance? Well, this is a unilateral contract, and so Sally is requesting acceptance by performance. Only one promise here. Sally's promise to pay. But what if this were a bilateral contract? What is the offeror Sally asking for a return here? Well, in this instance, Sally is looking for return promise. Sally promises to pay, and Betty accepts by promising to mow. Two promises. Remember, If the offeror is not specific as to the method or mode of acceptance, then the offeree can choose the method of acceptance. Acceptance can either be by return promise or by performance. Another note, an offer can be to more than one person. I can offer to sell my car to five people. The first person to accept will be the accepting party, and the offer is considered expired with respect to all other parties. But be careful, if the offer is too broad or it is not clear and specific with respect to what it is offering, then it is an advertisement and an advertisement is just an invitation for an offer. So those are the things to consider about the offer. To constitute an offer, it must be definite and specific. The offeror is the master of how the offer can be accepted and an offer can be to more than one person, but if it is too generic and too broad, it is most likely considered an advertisement and an advertisement is an invitation to make an offer. Before we talk about acceptance of the offer, we must talk about how long the offer stays open. Simply stated, an offer remains open until it's terminated. So if an offer is terminated before the offeree accepts, the offeree is no longer free to accept. The offer is terminated, and it is over, and it no longer exists. An offer can terminate five ways. It can be terminated by the offeror. It could be accepted by the offeree. The offer can lapse. It can be terminated by death of the offeror or by incapacity of the offeror. Let's look at these one at a time. Termination by the offeror. An offeror can terminate the offer. She can just say the offer is no longer on the table. I withdraw. The offeror need not communicate that the offer is terminated directly to the offeree. If the offeree learns of the termination from a reputable source, that is sufficient for termination. Acceptance. Once the offeree accepts Others are precluded from accepting. So where Sam offered to sell Bryce a home for $100,000, acceptance by Tuesday, and Bryce learned that another had accepted on Monday, the offer is terminated with respect to Bryce. The offeror has the power to make the offer to more than one party. Think about homes put on the market or a car advertised on Craigslist with the price, the number of miles, etc. That's a definite and specific offer to more than one person. But keep in mind, acceptance occurred when the first person to accept, accepted. So once the offeree, whoever that offeree is, accepts the terms, the contract is considered accepted, and now we just need to see if there's assent and consideration. Consider the following. Let's say that Sam calls Bob and says, I just picked a thousand apples from my orchard. Would you like to buy them? If Bob waits over two months, then the offer is considered lapsed because apples are not going to last more than two months. And finally, death or incapacity. Death of an offeror or mental incapacity of an offeror can terminate the offer. If a photographer makes a unilateral offer to pay his nephew if his nephew carries his bags and the uncle dies, then the offer is terminated. Keep in mind, this was a unilateral offer, so the offer can only accept by performance. And since the uncle died before the offeree could perform, the offer is terminated before acceptance. Incapacity has the same result. Think about the philosophy behind incapacity. A mentally incapacitated person is not competent to contract, and so as offeror, he or she is similarly not competent to make an offer to enter into a contract. In some instances, an offeree can make a separate contract that binds the offeror to keep the offer open for a certain amount of time. At common law, this is called an option contract. The parties can make a contract that gives the offeree the option to keep the offer open. For example, if Sal offers to sell Betty his house, Betty may want time to find a mortgage or think about accepting without worrying about whether she will lose the opportunity to accept the offer, perhaps because someone else will accept first. So Betty can enter into an option contract with Sal. Betty and Sal are contracting to leave Betty's power to accept the offer open for a certain amount of time. Keep in mind that option contracts, common law contracts to keep the option to accept open to the offeree, must be supported by consideration. This is because the offeror is losing the opportunity to make the offer to enter into the contract to someone else. And so she or he needs to receive something in exchange for losing that right. And by the way, you can learn more about consideration again in the Consideration Podcast. Now, option contracts are applicable for contracts for services or land. Keep in mind that if the contract is for the sale of a good, then an agreement to keep the offer open to the buyer is called a firm offer, as covered by the UCC. Unlike an option contract, a firm offer does not require consideration. However, it must be signed by the merchant making the offer and is only open for the time stated or reasonable time, but in no case for no longer than three months. A firm offer can only be made by a merchant and must be for the sale of goods. An option contract can be made by anyone and is for anything other than the sale of goods by a merchant. An option contract requires consideration. A firm offer does not. Okay, now we have an offer. The offer is open, and it's time for the offeree to accept. Let's talk about acceptance. Acceptance means communicating an unconditional willingness to be bound. Again, remember, the offeror is the master of the offer, so if the offeror requests acceptance by promise, the offeree can only accept by promise. Same if the offeree requests acceptance by performance. But if the offeror is silent as to the requested method of performance, then the offeree is free to accept in any manner reasonable. What about the timing of acceptance? The offeree must accept by the time specified, but if no time is specified, the offeree has a reasonable time to accept. So where a roofing company needed some time to make credit checks, this was before computers and way before Equifax, The roofing company was allowed several weeks to accept the offer. An offer remained open until a reasonable amount of time. Let's talk about acceptance and the mirror image rule. At common law acceptance must be the mirror of the offer. This is called the mirror image rule. Acceptance with different or varying terms becomes a counteroffer. So Sam offers to sell Bryce his farm for $500 on June 5th. If Bryce replies, I accept, that's fine. If Bryce replies, I accept and will buy your offer for $500 on June 5th, that's good too. In both ways, they mirror the offer. They have not changed the terms. But if Bryce says, I will buy your farm on June 5th, but I want you to remove all the hay on the farm before I pay, well, that varies the terms and it is considered a counteroffer. The mirror image rule is a common law principle and not applicable to the sale of goods. Acceptance for the sale of goods is covered by 2207 Battle of the Forms and discussed on the 2207 Law to Fact podcast. One other rule that starts with an M and deals with acceptance is the mailbox rule. The mailbox rule deals with acceptance by mail or fax or email. The mailbox rule states the minute acceptance is put in the mail, the offer is accepted. It does not matter when it reaches the offeror. So acceptance is upon dispatch. However, If the offeree puts rejection in the mailbox, rejection is effective upon receipt. So let's say that on October 20th, Sam offers to build a swimming pool for Bill. Sam does not specify the manner of acceptance. If, on October 21st, Bill puts acceptance in the mail, then Bill accepts on October 21, even if Sal doesn't receive acceptance until October 25th. But if Bill puts rejection in the mail on October 21, and calls Sal on October 22nd to accept, And then Sal receives Bill's letter on October 23rd, Bill's rejection is void because rejection is upon receipt and Bill accepted by phone call on October 22nd before Sal received the rejection. Once you accept, you cannot reject. Okay, that's acceptance. A few things to remember about acceptance. One, the offeror is the master of the offer and can dictate whether acceptance is by promise or performance. Two, Acceptance must be by the time stated, but if no time stated, it must be by a reasonable time. 3. The common law mirror image rule holds that acceptance must mirror the offer. 4. The mailbox rule says acceptance is upon dispatch, but rejection is upon receipt. And finally, let's talk about assent. Assent means a willingness to be bound. It is looked at objectively. So when a judge considered whether an agreement to sell land that was written on the back of a coffee shop receipt was actually made by the parties and whether the parties were intended to be bound, he found that there was assent because a reasonable person would have thought so too. So when analyzing offer acceptance and assent, ask yourself, one, is the offer legally valid? That is definite and specific. Two, is the offer available if the offeree wants to accept it? Three. If acceptance is valid, was it made in the manner requested, performance or return promise? Did it meet the common law requirements of the mailbox rule? And finally, would a reasonable person find the parties expressed an intent and willingness to be bound? So that's offer for an acceptance and assent. Hope you liked it. See you next time on Law to Fact.